Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome. You're listening to the Golf Under Par podcast. As the title suggests, on the Gov, we talk about all things relating to golf performance, so you can golf under par. While listening, you'll hear discussion on all facets of golf, physical, mental, and whatever else will make you a better golfer. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. I'm a golfer myself, as well as a physical therapist and strength coach. Let's take this journey together to golf under par. Thank you for listening. Now let's dive in. Welcome, guys, to the Golf Under Par podcast. I'm Dr. Jeremy McCullough, and with me is uh, Jason Ortolano. He is a physical therapist up in... Massachusetts. Massachusetts, that's right. I didn't have that written down right here. I have all the other stuff where you uh, played some Division I hockey up in Union College there in New Hampshire. And um, then you also had an interesting event, life event, where you rollerbladed across from Jacksonville, Florida, up to Kittery, Maine. I don't know Wait. how that happened, but maybe we can ask you that real fast here. Well, that all started then, with, um, my best friend. His brother is on the autism spectrum, so he just wanted to do something to raise money and awareness. And the idea, we all played hockey, so we're like, you know what? Let's After we graduate, let's just take a trip. And we just decided to rollerblade and just have events all up the East Coast. And just, I think we ended up raising about 140 grand. Wow. Awesome. Well, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I don't think I would make it rollerblading. <laughs> I'm not a skater or a rollerblader. So um, anyway, so moving on here. So he also uh, did some training up there in New York at um, CUNY and for physical therapy school. And since then, he's been doing some some different work here. But he's started working on working with golfers specifically and the last, last little bit here for him. And he also is Tibbet getting married here pretty soon. Yes, sir. So congratulations on that. So thank, thank you so you. much for coming on and welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here. So I always ask everybody, uh, what got you into golf? Um, well, actually, I could probably bring it back to the exact moment. Uh, I just I was just accepted an offer to play at Union College, which is actually in upstate New York, by the way. Um, it's a real small school, so I'm not upset if, you, if you've never really heard of it. But um, uh, right after I did that, I was doing some summer training and playing in a summer league, and I blew my ACL out. Uh, so after that, I lived with a family in New Hampshire, and I was with them, and their son played golf. I had never played golf in my life, and I went out with him and his buddies. Just I was like, I figured I was like, I'm not going to do any more damage to the knee. And it was the sixth hole. It was about a 300-yard par four. They just sprayed their drives all over the place, and I took a three iron out, not knowing what I was doing, and just pured it dead center of the fairway. From that moment on, I was hooked, and I've been chasing that elusive pure ever since. I'm saying best shot of your life, right? Oh yeah, seems like that. That's how it always happens, right? Don't know what you're doing, and and it works out perfectly, and that's that hooks you, and then never see it again. Yep. Oh yeah, I've been searching for it for years. So. Curiosity, uh, how does you feel like your hockey background affect your your golf uh, or how's it had played into your golf, I guess? 
Uh, that's actually a pretty easy one. Uh, the hardest part for me transitioning from hockey to golf was the mental aspect of it. Because hockey, you got teammates to rely on. If I'm having a bad game, my teammates can pick me up. And also with hockey, if I played a little more angry, I tend to play a little bit better. Versus golf, you try to stay a little calm. But as far as hitting the ball, I could always hit it far. Um, that's one of the things I did well in hockey is I shot the puck really hard. I don't know if you saw the Mighty Ducks. Fulton Reed, I'll just a better skater version of that. Um, so I could always hit it far, but the mechanics are essentially the same. You know, the weight shift, the rotational component of it, compressing. It's all the same from hockey to golf. It's just the difference being your hand position. In hockey, my hands are apart. Golf, they're together. The only difference. Yeah, yeah I always see a lot of uh... – a lot of hockey players that kind of pick up golf, they always tend to have a pretty good knack for for the game. So that's why I was curious as to your output being a hockey player. But oh. that was my my opinion is it translates pretty nicely. Well, also think about it. In hockey, what do you do with a slap shot? You hit down on it. Golf, you're hitting a ball that's down on the ground too. So it's you know the same mechanics, just a different object. Very, Very cool. All right. So – Got you on here because we've had a, a few discussions about what's kind of been going on in uh, in, in the world with uh, Bryson DeChambeau, who's kind of made quite the, uh, we'll say, uh, discussion for all the uh, media and and whatnot. So before we kind of really dive into that, let's talk a little bit about the importance of golf fitness and club head speed with and performance. Like, how does that influence? Yeah, sure thing. I mean – just I'll get technical for one second, but what is the golf swing? It's merely a transfer of energy. That's all it is. And if you have an efficient kinetic chain from the ground up all the way to the club head, you're able to transfer that energy efficiently, which is like if you watch a guy like Ernie Els, it looks like he's just lackadaisical, just half-heartedly swinging at it, and he's hitting the ball 300-plus easy. So he's able to successfully translate that. Now, the average golfer – usually is a, and I'm going to use a guy as an a men as an example here. It's not to say that women don't do this as well. They spend a lot of their time sitting at their desk, right? So that whole midsection of the human body just kind of shuts off for a lack of better, lack of better phrase. So they're unable to transfer from the ground up. So I found that working with my clients with a, on a fitness point of view helps to minimize physical therapy needs, but also improves performance just training the correct patterns so it's not necessarily you know training them to swing a club because i'm not a golf pro that's not what i do but it's just training them to use their body effectively so their legs their glutes their core just training that transfer of energy in a proper position so that's how fitness has kind of woven its way into the golf swing and in, and as an effect of increase increasing your efficiency with that energy transfer you're able to swing the club faster yeah yeah, I, I, I would agree because you think about all the people that day-to-day -day jobs require them to essentially be stationary, whether it's sitting or, or even just standing. Um, yeah. Standing may be a little bit a little bit more helpful, but not having that variability of movement and not really being able to rotate. You look at a lot of the pro guys, I mean, those guys hit balls all the time, and they have really great public control, really great um, mobility in, in the areas that are ideal for the golf swing because they use it all the time, right? Correct. So – with with the training that you're talking about, what would be an expected time frame for having changes occur, whether it's mobility or strength? Okay, so I mean, I guess my question for you would be, what type of client am I working with? So I got a couple of clients right now I'm working with. 
One is a 19-year-old college sophomore who plays Division II golf, and I've also got a 54-ish-year-old CFO. So they're at two totally different baselines. So it would be two totally different expectations. So my 19-year-old, he's 126 pounds. Our big goal is bulking him up, increasing club head speed. Now his downfall is because he throws everything into the swing is he's got back pain. So for him, we've been working together for about a month and a half, and we've seen a, probably about a three to four mile an hour increase in club head speed. Versus my 54-year-old, we've been working together for a couple of months now, and we're just now starting to see those club head changes, those kind of those muscle mass, changing that movement pattern. And it's taken, you know, that extra half a month to a month. So it's it ranges anywhere from, I say, four to six weeks to probably 10 to 12 weeks before you really, depending on the person's starting level. Yeah, I, and I can, I can definitely agree with that. I mean, so much of it depends on, you know, what are you working on? Somebody that needs uh, some maybe just some soft tissue type work to, to loosen up a joint, you know, that can occur pretty quickly. You I mean, you can make a, you won't make a long-term change, but you can make a short-term change with a, with a tennis ball or a lacrosse ball into the glute. And that might help that, that shoulder, not the shoulder turn, the hip turn a whole lot better. Um, and whatnot. And that can happen pretty darn quick. What, within a minute or two, but if you really want to have that lasting change, you know, it's sit there and go, okay, yeah, you're going to need some, need some time. And I think, Reasonable expectation would be either three to four weeks for for a more permanent. Yep, correct. Yeah, my fifty uh, four year old, he came to me. You know, joints couldn't move. We opened him up real quick. He had a discernible movement change within the first session or two, but it's that kind of that roller coaster effect. It tightened back up because he didn't change what we wanted to initially. So that's why it took a little longer for those lasting effects. Right. Right. Yeah, I always tell it to uh, to my my clients. You know, it's kind of like the stock market. You're gonna have ups and downs as you go. You know, whether it's whether it's coming back from an injury or whether you're just trying to get better at, at you know performance, strength training, whatever. You're gonna have up days. You're gonna have down days. Um, but as long as that general trend continues to kind of go upward, then then we're not worried about it, right? I'm laughing because I use the same analogy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a lady come in today. Um, this is at my part-time job, and they they were they had done something in their shoulder, and they were like, "Oh, I feel like I'm not progressing." Blah blah blah. And I'm just like, "Hey, look, look. Yesterday you did, or hey, Monday it was like you did blah 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 blah, which you hadn't done in how many how many weeks or a month or something like that." And so it's like, so obviously it's not a complete loss, right? You're gonna you're gonna probably bounce back a lot faster than um, than you did the first time. Oh yeah, absolutely. With with that regard of okay, there's a certain time frame and everybody's different. Whether you're you know depending on what the issue is, you know what are some potential risks or side effects that we might have with somebody that makes a rapid change in club head speed or even maybe um, with regards to like bulking up. Um. Well, I mean, the potential risks if you're increasing your club head speed and you're just drastically kind of neglecting. The, well, I'll call, I'll call it the foundational kind of stability of that midsection. You're at a risk for increasing your lo- your chance of low back pain um, from a health point of view. That's kind of the number one thing I see. And then from a performance point of view, if you start swinging the club f- head faster than you've ever had before, your risk of mishits and kind of your dispersion factor gets a lot bigger. So you're initially going to hit it longer, but you're going to hit it in the woods or the, the rough more often. So your performance might kind of down tick a little at first before you kind of 
adjust to that, that new speed. Yeah. Now I think, you know, anytime, and this is why I think it's important for a team approach with, with this, you know, you got a trainer or a physical therapist, whoever you're working with. And you also, you know, having that swing coach because, okay, Hey, swing coach tells me, Hey, I need this guy to have a bigger shoulder turn. Okay. Well, if we gain that shoulder mobility and he learns to start controlling um, that rotation there, then, then it's like, okay, now you need the swing coach to be like, okay, now you, now you got the ability to do it, but are you using that in your swing or whatnot? And, and so I think there's definitely, you know, tweaks that need to be happening from a technique standpoint, as you have these changes from a physical standpoint. Oh, absolutely. And I, I imagine with your, the, the junior you're working with or the 19 year old that you're working with, you know, two or three years ago, he had completely different swing and obviously equipment because he's probably grown oh, yeah. a few inches, if not, uh, he wants to grow a few more inches though. He's, he's a short little guy, but I mean, he gets it out there. He's only 120 pounds and he's not far behind me. Yeah. But if you watch him swing, like he literally throws at his whole body into the swing. I was just looking at, I think it was a TPI that shared on social media, the, some clips of Justin, uh, Justin Thomas through the years and how, how much, how, how he gets after that ball oh, yeah. being a small guy as well. Yeah, he he crushes the ball. He's, I mean, he's got to be like 150 pounds soaking wet. Ricky Fowler's another guy, tiny guy, just crushes the ball. Let's dive in here. Um, I guess why don't we just start with you know what your opinion on kind of the things that Bryson DeChambeau, everybody's talked about uh, in the social media, you know, on how he's gained what are 40 pounds in the last couple of years, or yeah. last a lot in the short period of time, he's gained a lot more, but. I mean, let me start by saying from a personal level, I'm not a big DeChambeau fan, but I got to respect a guy. He's coming out of the blocks just saying, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what anyone says. I got I respect him for that. But as far as everything is gone, like in my opinion, it's almost too much too fast. Now, this is a guy who's a PGA Tour golfer and a great golfer at that, but he's gained – you know, 40 pounds in the last four years and probably about 25 of it in the last two months. I wonder what that's going to do to his long-term health and longevity. Cause I don't care if it's pure muscle or muscle and fat or pure fat, 40 pounds is 40 pounds. It's a lot of extra weight to carry around the golf course. But you know, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. The guy's crushing the ball right now. Like he's bombing it by all the bombers. So what he's done is, you know, at least in the short term for what we can see, incredibly effective. You know, he took Newton's second law, force equals mass times acceleration. Jeremy, you still there? I lost you. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really catch anything after uh, you saying that you're not a big fan of DeChambeau. <laughs> oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, no. What I was saying was, you know, I I don't entirely agree with the massive gain that he made. Um, just from a longevity point of view, in the short term, I mean, as they say, the proof is in the pudding. He's hitting it by Rory, Dustin, Bubba. He's bombing it by those guys. You know, and he just, he's a science guy. He took Newton's second law, force equals mass times acceleration. You know, you increase your mass, you start to increase the force you can put exponentially. He's obviously skilled enough that he can do that. Whereas I think the average golfer, um, I had to look this up because I wasn't even sure. The average handicap, according to the USGA, is around a 13 handicap. You take a 13 handicap and you put 40 pounds on them thinking that's going to help them hit the ball further. Next thing you know, they're just hitting it way off into the woods because they don't have the technique behind it. But, you know, I think what he's doing is – I think it's great. It's showing a different way to approach the game of golf. It doesn't have to be one way versus the other. 
But I'd be curious, you know, next year, two years, five years down the line, if he maintains this, you know, body frame he's got, what does that do to his joints? What does that do to the longevity of his game? So I'd be curious to see what that does in the long term. So I'm not sure if you can hear me right now, but I, you know, I looked up some of the numbers on DeChambeau, and it's pretty remarkable, actually, what he's doing right now. Um, uh, pretty much just lost me at the uh, longevity of the game if he maintains, you know, kind of what he's where he's at. Yeah, because um, I mean, his frame, he's his body. I think physically is meant to carry that like 195 to 205 frame. I'm curious to see what it does, in, like in terms of like his joint health and his internal organs, maintaining that 240 pound frame for the next couple of years. Yeah, there is definitely you know some some concerns with what what he's. I mean, I've heard him discuss. And now, granted, neither one of us probably have the uh, complete picture of this, and so this is all from yeah. what we see from the outside. So. He's got he's got medical providers and he's got trainers and stuff like that that are giving him some advice on all this stuff. So oh, yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure that there's there's definitely reasonings for everything that they've done. But um, one thing I know I, I've caught recently in some of his discussions is how you know he's eating whatever he wants. He's eating, he's drinking like four or five protein shakes a day and um, and whatnot. Yeah, and so and he's working out every single day and all this stuff and so. Some of those things kind of yellow flags, we'll say, rather than red flags per se, yeah, uh, where, okay, the the protein shakes, you don't need that much protein after, uh, if I remember the number correctly, it's 1.6 per uh, kilogram per day. Yeah. That, that After that number, there's really no more benefit to gaining lean mass or muscle mass yeah. in this instance. So if you're getting that, you know, somebody that's 200 pounds, um, they really only need like, what is it? Probably like 140, 150, somewhere in that range. If I'm doing math real fast in my head. Yeah. And Sounds about right. I'll trust you on I, that. I know, I know on, on, so I'm about 170 and I need about 120. So that's my, my thing. So if I get, that's 1.6, right? I probably get somewhere in uh, probably about, uh, one rather than 1.6 myself, but the uh, other thing, like working out every day, you know, we have to have some tissues that uh, some tissue healing times. Right. So as long as he's, you know, working, alternating muscles and whatnot, rather than focus on the same things every single day, I guess he, he probably is OK doing that workout every single day. But he's got to you know, obviously be smart about it. And I'm sure he he's got the advice of. Oh, yeah. His team people. Is on it all time. Yeah, I'd be curious that myself. I I wonder what his workout regimen looks like. Like, I would my assumption would be that he wouldn't work out like a bodybuilder, like isolating body parts. Because for golf, that just doesn't make sense to do it that way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more of kind of I. I mean, obviously, I'm I turned on the golf channel this afternoon when I came home from the office, and I watched him try to hit an eight iron from 199 yards. Like, what? <laughs> like that just. <laughs> Like I, that would I would never fathom that. Like it's just unheard of. Like the what he's be able to gain in terms of you know his competitors. Matsuyama, who's not a short guy, was hitting a six iron. You know that's mm-hmm. a difference for the same target. Yeah. Your accuracy is gonna go up hitting a you know a higher lofted club. But yeah, I'd, I'd be curious about the rest days. You know if he throws them in once in a while, what his training regimen looks like. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it'd be nice to to see a little bit more inside of that, but. We don't have that uh, that luxury, I guess. So, so I guess what would be so you know a rule of thumb that you would share to those that are ho- hoping to bulk up or or trying to just gain more of this mass 
um, so that you can be, you know, Newton's equation of force equals mass times acceleration. I mean, what I've got with my client right now, our goal is to bulk up. He wants to put on about 15 to 20 pounds of lean muscle. And we're using about a six month time frame for that. Now he's a smaller guy. He's not starting at 195 pounds. So he doesn't have that big frame to put on. So percentage wise, it's about comparable to Bryson, but instead of a two and a half month period, we're looking to do it over like a four to six month period. And so far things are going well. Um, we just got to get him eating breakfast better because, I mean, he works in the golf industry. So he's up at like four in the morning and he's like, I don't want to cook. I'm like, dude, cook it in the morning, cook it the night before. Um, but that's been the thing. It's just maintaining a, you know, a healthy, balanced diet, you know, eating the right kinds of foods and, you know, maintaining those workouts. So we're using a six month period for, let's say, 20 pounds. So what's my, my math is terrible. About four pounds, about a pound and a half a week, roughly. My math is probably off on that one. Yeah. So, I mean, you think a six month period every month, you're looking at somewhere in that three to four pounds. So yeah, you're about, you know, one pound to, to maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah. Which I think for most people, you know, PGA tour and college golfers excluded, I think in my opinion, I think that's a little more realistic than, you know, 25 pounds in two months. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I completely agree. I, mean, I think, you know, and again, it, it does vary so much depending on, on where you are, you know, sitting there going, mm-hmm. okay, you have, you know, a middle-aged person that's looking to bulk up a little bit. It's going to be different than, than your kid. I mean, I would imagine, uh, at least I know when I was, uh, you know, that 18, 19 range where I was in the gym on a regular basis and, and working out, uh, and, you know, it was a whole lot easier to to recover and to to right. actually put on a little bit more mass on, and so it's a lot easier for them. Whereas, you know, you get into middle age, you're actually wanting to slim down maybe a little bit, along with building up that lean mass. So, yeah, yeah, I know. Once I passed, I think 32, 33, that's when my years of hockey started really catching up to me, and my back started hurting, my hips started hurting, things started aching a little more as I was training, and I was like, oh, I got to slow down a little. Yeah, and so I think that's that's important. You know, most of the listeners here are probably uh, that older, middle-aged to older uh, people. And so, you know, thinking, all right, you're not Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, he's he's still in his 20s, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So he's still, he's still we'll say, a young buck. And uh, and they, there is better recovery for that. There's better adaptation. Not saying that older adults can't can't have that adaptation. Older adults can adapt at the exact same, really at the exact same level, get the exact same, you know, kind of percentage wise improvements and stuff like that. Uh, especially those that are untrained or haven't been doing it can definitely see a lot of improvements. Oh, absolutely. Well, Jason, thanks so much for uh, chatting with me about that. Before we wrap up, I've got a handful of questions I ask everybody. And first one is what's your favorite golf course or golf memory? Uh, let's see. Favorite golf course. I got two of them actually. Uh, Bandon Dunes. I don't know if you've ever gotten out there. Um, being from the East Coast, you don't see much like that. The only problem is it's a pain in the neck to get out there. There's really no easy way to get there. But once you're there, there's no other golf course like it, in my opinion, in the United States. It's right on the Pacific Ocean, just beautiful golf, a lot of fun too. And I also like one of my other favorite courses, Atlantic City Country Club, down right outside of Atlantic City, New Jersey. It's a great track, great layout with a really fun and interesting history. Um, they actually have a bell right outside that was 
meant to signal like the last trolley in the early 20th century, you know, to let golfers know, get off the course. Otherwise you're not getting back to Atlantic city and the layout. It's mm-hmm. cool. Cause it's two different layouts. You got like the pine barrens, you know, kind of pine trees, a lot of sand on one nine. And then the other nine just kind of goes through the marshlands right across from Atlantic city. So it's kind of cool. Those are kind of my two favorite courses and probably my favorite memory I'd say one of the days I played golf with my dad. So I got my dad in a golf and I wanted a charity outing to uh, t- one of the TPC courses, I think in New Jersey. And just uh, him and I went out there and had a round of golf, just father and son, considering neither of us grew up playing golf. It was pretty fun. It's cool. I was realizing earlier today with my, my dad got me in golf. He's a, uh, he was a businessman and they played a lot of golf, but because he played most of his golf with uh, customers I don't have a ton of memories of playing golf with him. And so, yeah, I would probably have to go with that route as well. I'm um, choosing a memory like that, but all right. So what is one takeaway that you would uh, want our listeners to, to take away from today's that they can apply? Uh, probably it's what I hammer into any one of my clients who comes to see me is, you know, build a solid foundation before you start getting fancy with everything. So make sure your balance, your core stability, your glute activation is really on point before you start saying, all right, I want to squat 300 pounds or I want to bulk up here or bench press here. Just hammer down those specific patterns and make sure you got the foundation set before you start to build on that. And obviously be patient. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have good days and bad days. So just remember that. And last question, who should we have on the podcast? All right. You got a choice here. I got two for you. So I've got a trainer I work with, um, real good friend of mine. His, well, I think Golf, Golf Digest, I believe, voted him as one of the top 50 fitness trainers in the U.S. His name's Kevin Duffy. Or I also talked to, checked in with my swing coach who's out of New Jersey. His name is Dan Ashley. Um, another great, great interview. He's got great stories. Played, I want to say he played football to some level at the University of Kentucky before kind of hammering down and getting in the golf industry. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'm going to have you connect me with those guys. It sounds awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, before we wrap up, please tell us how we can support you and all the things that you're doing for golfers. Sure. I mean, Instagram is probably the easiest way to follow me and kind of everything I'm doing. I post, you know, informational stuff, stuff I'm doing with my clients. Um, my user handle is at rules, rule underscore 76 underscore performance. Um, just Pretty much on a daily basis, I try to kind of at least get a little tidbit out there, even if it's just some information, not necessarily what I'm doing with a client, but something that my clients might find interesting. Just, you know, it's out there. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how, that's how we connect. So oh, yeah. Seeing some of the stuff that you were putting out there. So you got some good information after you guys check them out. Uh, reach out to them if you guys are in the area and need, uh, need some help. Yeah, absolutely. So thank you so much. That's the it for this episode of the Golf Under Par podcast. We'll have all of Jason's information in the show notes. And thank you so much, Jason, and for all of you listeners. Jeremy, thank you very much for having me. Hey, guys. If you enjoyed this content, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes so that we can get this in front of more people. Thank you. Do you want to take your fitness to the next level? Join our Golf Fitness Tips Facebook group to learn more about how you can improve your fitness and improve your golf game by upping your potential through mobility, strengthening, and wellness tips. Again, our Facebook group is Golf Fitness Tips. We'll see you there. Have a good one.